For the Athletic Podcast Network, this is The Update. I'm Adam Copeland, in for Kate Scott. On today's show, Andy Baggerly, half of the Bags and Brisby podcast, and our Athletic Giants beat writer, joins us in Scottsdale, Arizona, to talk about Jeff Samarja and his on-again, off-again relationship with his split-finger fastball, as well as Andy's thoughts on Madison Bumgarner, or should we say Mason Saunders, career in rodeo after baseball. It's Monday, March 2nd. It's nice now to welcome in Andy Baggerly. We're actually sitting in the press box at Scottsdale Stadium. They're dragging the field, and we're uh, getting ready to talk some Giants baseball. Andy, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you? I'm doing well. A lot of questions around the Giants right now, and I think a couple of the topics you've covered in some recent articles are ones we should get into. Let's start first with with Jeff Samarja. You got some real good comments from him the other day after his performance. Two shutout innings in his first spring training outing. He talked a lot about the split-finger fastball, and I think the money quotes there were about how it's been sort of a fickle relationship with the split finger he called it a hot hot cheating ex-girlfriend yeah a hot hot girlfriend yeah that's that's uh, and it wouldn't be spring training if if Jeff Samarja didn't talk about his pitch repertoire in terms of potential romantic partners that's just sort of the way he relates to his pitches and it's funny I asked him you know I sort of set him up for it right because he's he was talking about how he threw some good splits and I said you know man every year you talk about your split how you're not going to throw it how you are going to throw it what is your relationship with that pitch? And I fully knew where he might go with that, and he did not disappoint. But you know what? The splitter is an interesting pitch because it accounts for maybe like 1.6% of pitches thrown in the big leagues last year. But it's really effective, especially if you use it as a changeup, a pitch that's down. It's a pitch that you get a, a, a higher concentration of swings on when you don't throw it in the zone. So that makes it a pretty effective weapon, especially if you pair it with fastballs up. And, and the Giants are really kind of investing big on the splitter between trying to get Samarja to throw it more. And Kevin Gossman uh, has thrown more splitters than anybody in the major leagues over the last three, uh, three years combined. So that's a big pitch for him as well. So he talked, and in your piece, he mentioned that he changed the grip on it a little bit. He was using more of a, I don't know if he said Vulcan change type grip, or I can't remember specifically what it was, but he said he's getting more results from it. And the other thing that was noticeable was he was topping out at 89, but they said that was by design. First of all, they want him to to mix more and not worry about sort of quote-unquote establishing your fastball and easing into a start. The days of that are kind of gone, and that's that was sort of what, what starting pitchers did for years and years when they would throw 220, 240 innings. Uh, you know, you, you would save something to show hitters the second and third and maybe even fourth time through the lineup, and now they're just telling you, look, go out and, and pitch it like it's a one-inning appearance for you, and we're going to let you go as long as you can. But, you know, we're going to look for more quality innings from you as opposed to you thinking about providing your value as a 220-inning guy. We would rather have 165 really premium innings of run prevention out of you. That brings more value in today's game. And they've got a lot of relievers in camp who could be multiple inning people. And I think they're trying to redesign how they're going to think about a pitching staff, particularly with this three batter minimum going on. You're not going to have as many sort of high matchup bullpens, which we know the Giants thrived and did such a great job of through their championship era, you know, matching up with Sergio Romo and Javier Lopez. It's going to be a different game this season. So, you know, that's one thing that they're telling their starters. Hey, look, go ahead and just throw the kitchen sink from the outset. Be unpredictable 
uh, don't try to coast into a start. And that's why uh, you know you're not seeing guys go out there you know trying to really look at topping out velo this early. They're looking more at hey, how can I get a, a good feel for multiple off-speed pitches really, really fast right away? Because that's going to be really important, I think, uh, in, in for every team in, in baseball in, in this sort of modern day. I'm glad you mentioned the bullpen, and I do want to come back to that because there are a few guys we should talk about, and, and it's hard to tell at any point now who's going to make the team out of camp just based on what you just mentioned, how they're planning to sort of redevelop and rebuild this thing. But before we get to that, the, the last question on the Jeff Samarja tick, more about his trade value. He's making, what, 16 or $18 million this year. He can say no to eight teams a season per his contract but Luis Severino as you mentioned in, in your article the other day out with Tommy John surgery is he a legit candidate for, for a Yankee rotation spot you know I think it's a bit early for that I, I'd imagine the Yankees they have other people that they can give the ball to I don't think they're at a massive innings deficit but yeah it, it's going to be a big blow for them losing Severino and, and you know Giancarlo Stanton is, is out with a little quad thing already that's part of spring training it's just getting out of there healthy and I don't think that they're going to make a very quick kind of panicked reaction move. But down the line, you look at Jeff Samarja, he could be someone who gets moved uh, to a contender if, if he has you know a good start to his season. The thing about the Giants that's sort of interesting is they don't have to move a lot of money. I mean, obviously, if they can shed some payroll off their books, like they did with trading Mark Melanson to the Braves last season and, and get rid of his payroll obligation for this year, that increases their financial flexibility that allows them to make some other moves. You know, maybe if there's an opportunity that comes along where they can eat some other dead money and get some prospects, uh, like they did with the Angels deal with Zach Cozart uh, in the offseason, maybe they could do that on a larger scale even. That's good. You know, the more opportunities they can give themselves to try to infuse talent in the system, the better. And the more financial flexibility they have, the wider their range of options may be. But it's not like they have to move money. It's not like they're over the luxury tax. It's not like they're a poor franchise. We know they've, you know, they've got a lot of money socked away from their various revenue streams over the years. So they don't really have to move that money. But the more that they could maybe offer a a very significantly discounted Jeff Samarja, who has some value to a contending team, that may be a way to get a couple other prospects in the system. Maybe not A-level prospects, but people that they feel that they could develop into, you know, something that they could polish up. What they did last year at the deadline was just that. You brought in some pieces, and, and now Mauricio Dubon looks like he could be not necessarily a cornerstone piece, but obviously a guy who's going to help you versatility-wise and uh, and hopefully is a, a hitter near the top or the middle of the lineup. Back to some of the bullpen guys we were talking about, and, and you mentioned that they're trying to redefine how it is you build a rotation or a, a roster or a pitching staff. Have you as a writer had to like redefine how you look at the guys in camp? Because I feel like last year you come in, every year you've got your, your traditional storylines. Last year we had the Cameron Maven and the Salarte and... Para, you get to know the new guys, and then a month into the season, most of these guys are gone. What do you take away from that when you come into camp this year? Yeah, I, I think we can sort of see in retrospect that, you know, it was Bruce Bochy's last year, and I think that they had to put some lipstick on the whole thing and maybe not pretend that they were trying to be contenders and win, but definitely not enter it in, in massive development mode or rebuild mode. I mean, they wanted to give Bruce Bochy some kind of chance to have a team that at least if you squinted, they could contend a little bit. And, and now I think that they've sort of torn the label off of that and, and they moved on full in onto this development-oriented mindset, Both and that's why they hired a guy who was a farm director in Gabe Kapler, and that's why they've got 13 people on this coaching staff who don't have a whole lot of major league experience or, or, or very limited to no major league experience. They're development people, and that's the way that they are wired now. 
and that's what they're going to push towards. So, you know, for me, the way I looked at last year, honestly, it was tough, man. I mean, they set a National League record for 64 players used, and you could try to name as many as you can. I, I guarantee it's, you're going to struggle to come up with more than 40 of them. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, you know, Aaron Altair came and went. Corbin <laughs> Joseph came and went. You know, all these people that we think about, they were giants for five minutes. Eric Kratz, you know. And that, that was hard. I think it was hard on the people in the clubhouse when you're trying to get some cohesion and trying to learn your teammates and develop some chemistry. It was hard for us in the media. I, I'll bet you there's 10 of those 64 players I never so much as introduced myself to or said hi to because they were gone so fast. And never had a chance so you know I don't think there's going to be quite as much turnover on the roster this year I think there's going to be a lot of turnover but I don't know if it's going to get to 64 particularly with a lot of the roster limits that uh, we have in September now but you know that said I think they're going to be plugging a lot of people in and out they're going to be experimenting a lot they're going to be doing different things on the development side I think that the Giants are going to be an interesting team to watch if you're interested in the process and not necessarily interested in the win-loss record. Well, I think that's what this is all about in reestablishing what it means to be a Major League Baseball player with all these young guys now who are a Kai Correa that you mentioned, a guy with no Major League experience and, and, and very little coaching experience at this level, some Arizona Fall League, some stuff with the Indians. When I'm thinking about some of those players you mentioned from last year, it may be harder to pick like the regular ones. Was Pierce Johnson, was that a guy last year? Was that a couple of years ago? No, that's a couple years ago. Okay, Pierce, Pierce Johnson was actually in Japan last year okay. and, and pitched really well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, some of these guys are, it's funny you mentioned Altair and a couple of the other ones to come through. Guys like Joey Rickard are still hanging around, maybe going to help the team. What about the bullpen? What about some of these guys who seems like maybe we're looking at, at plugging in where guys may fit for an extended period of time, but as you said, it may not be the same makeup we've had in the past. I get the impression we could see a lot of the guys who are in camp at some point at the big league level. Tyler Sear, I'm thinking uh, Sean Anderson could be a rotation or bullpen. Trevor Cahill threw a couple innings or threw an inning or two the other day. Uh, just your thoughts on the makeup of the pen and how these guys are going to get used. Yeah, it's interesting because they've got a lot of people in on non-roster invites who could be sort of swingman pieces and that goes for the people who are on guaranteed contracts like Drew Smiley and Kevin Gaussman and all these guys. I mean, they're going to be worked in as starters, but they could be relievers down the line as well. Particularly if you look at it and use Drew Pomerantz as an analog, they started him as a starting pitcher. They moved him to the bullpen. His stuff all played up in relief, and they obviously got a very uh, meaningful trade return from the Brewers in Mauricio Dubon for him. And then the Padres went and gave him, you know, uh, what, like 16 or $18 million this offseason. So it's kind of funny how that can happen so fast. So that's an option for what the Giants could do down the road. But they've got Trevor Cahill. They've got Tyson Ross. They've got Jerry Blevins. I mean, there's a lot of guys who could make this team as non-roster invites. And really, 72 players in camp, you can't predict who's here just as a warm body because there's been so many people over the years who've walked into Major League Camp and I'll think, oh, okay, well, this guy, it's nice that he's got a locker, and, and, and I'm sure he'll be in minor league camp soon, and we'll never hear from him again. I mean, when Ryan Vogelsong came back, you know, you thought, oh, nice story. Okay, that's kind of cool. He came back, and, you know, wait, hold on. He's, he's breaking bats. Whoa, he's throwing 94. And, and all of a sudden, he's in the rotation, and before you know it, he's an all-star and a World Series hero. So, you know, I, I'm done predicting who's irrelevant and who's not. I think you got to look at everybody as someone who's potentially interesting, and they're here for a reason. But, yeah, they have a lot of ways that they could go with this bullpen. Nick Vincent is even back, and he's a guy who pitched very well for Gabe Kapler in Philly at the end of the year. So how many of these non-roster guys they're going to be able to wedge on the 40-man and start the year with and try to protect in 
inventory and save the guys with options and start them in the minors and bring them up as needed. That's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be based on essentially how well some of these guys throw in camp. One of the stories I think people are coming into the season with that they want to pay attention to and follow is when is Joey Bart going to get here? Farhan has said, you know, we're not going to push him and, and hinder his development. We were kind of looking through and hearing from Scott Harris a couple of days ago. He made a comment about uh, Chris Bryant had spent a lot of time in the minors, he said. So did Javier Baez. When you look at those guys, Joey Bart has played 130 games in the minors. Chris Bryant had played 150. I'm just thinking that because he's coming over from Chicago. was kind of the comp. I know Bryant had led AAA in home runs or something the year before he got uh, brought up to the major league level. I just wonder at, at what point, and, and again, predicting is tough to do and, and putting a date on it, but how do you see the development for Joey Bart as of right now, and does a lot of it have to do with calling a game before they get him to the big league level? Oh, well, sure. That's that's a big part of development in the minors is catching, and we went through this exercise a decade ago with Buster Posey, when are you bringing up? When are you bringing him up? When are you bringing him up? And uh, Brian Sabian would say the same thing. We need him to catch more. He has to catch more. And, and part of that is getting used to just the workload and the pounding. But the other part is calling a game and getting to know the pitching staff and understanding what kind of information is going to be there for you to digest on a daily basis. I mean, there's a lot to go into the modern game that you didn't have to sort of worry about before. So I think when Joey does come up, I, I'd imagine he's going to work in tandem with Buster. I think down the road, uh, they're going to try to have Joey play another position so that he and Buster can be in the lineup at the same time. Uh, but you see that they haven't done that. He's not even taking ground balls at first base or, or fly balls in left field yet. They really want Bart to focus on receiving. I would imagine he's going to start at AAA, and I would imagine that we're going to see him in the big leagues at some point this season. And how that transition goes is going to be you know, an ongoing storyline to watch. But for now, I think the only thing that Joey Bart needs to do is make sure he's healthy, make sure he's putting his work in, make sure he's catching as many people as possible, and he's getting a lot of time in these exhibition games. And how long they keep him in big league camp, I think is going to be interesting. I'd imagine they're going to keep him close to the end uh, like they did last year. Before we let you go, i got to ask you about a story you wrote last week. The big piece on the newest star in baseball, Mason Saunders. You sort of uncovered this, brought the evidence to Madison Bumgarner. Seemed like maybe he was a little miffed at you for having brought this up, maybe breaking his uh, his alter ego, whatever it was. If, if, for those that don't know, Madison Bumgarner's been competing in rodeos and, and won twenty six grand last offseason or something like that. Anyway, uh, how, how did you come about this? And tell us about the story. Well, first of all, Mason Saunders is not an up-and-coming baseball star. He is very established. <laughs> star on the team roping circuit and I've been told that team roping events are usually only team roping events so they they can be a part of a larger rodeo but to say he's a rodeo star is not quite accurate I've had many people point that out to me and team roping is big I mean this is big money some of the horses are very very skilled and well trained and sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars so you have a, a header and a healer and both of them come out mounted riders and they have to rope the steer and usually this thing is over in like six or eight seconds they either successfully rope them or they don't if you get one heel and not two, you get a five-second penalty. And, yeah, Madison Baumgartner, is, roping has been a big part of his life. Team roping has been something he's done since he was 15 or 16 when his future father-in-law sort of got him into the sport. And he loves it. We've known for years how much that's a, a part of his life. And I guess we just didn't know how much it was a part of his life. <laughs> and, yeah, when, uh, you know, we got a tip, uh, Zach Buchanan, who covers the Diamondbacks for us at The Athletic and myself, got a tip about some of the events that he was in and that he was competing under an alias and from there it was pretty easy to find a few pictures on Facebook and then 
presented it to him. And the funny thing is, though, the first thing he said when we uh, brought this to him, I said, I hear there's a really good up-and-coming team roper named Mason Saunders. What do you know about him? And the first thing he said wasn't, show me proof, or what are you saying, or getting mad, or walking away. The very first thing he said was, you don't know what you're talking about. And he said, this isn't calf roping, this is team roping. It's an entirely different thing. So he was annoyed that we didn't know what the heck we were talking about. That's how much he loves the sport. And yeah, you know what? Part of me is like, I do hate the fact that we kind of spoiled his fun a little bit. But I mean, he's a public figure. He did this in public. It's definitely news. It was definitely a story that had a lot of legs to it. And it was a fun one to do. And it just adds to the legend of this guy. I mean, this guy's the Paul Bunyan of baseball. I'm sure that it's probably going to only endear him to some of his new fans here in Arizona. I think we've been calling him sort of a Paul Bunyan type for some time, mostly because of the home runs but I think the, and the pitching. But obviously, I think now coming back with, uh, well, and of course, he rode the, the horse with the World Series flag and all that stuff. But I think if he were still here, we had the Let Timmy Smoke shirts. I think we'd get a Let Madison Rope campaign. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that, that, that shirt will sell. I mean, you know, obviously, if you were with the Giants, I think that one, you could get that one going and have a cottage industry there. Yeah, that'd be it. Andy, thanks for the time today, man. Okay, thank you. All that conversation with Andy, and we didn't even get a chance to pick his brain about the Jeopardy greatest of all time competition. I know we're a little bit removed from that, but always fun to talk to a former Jeopardy champion about uh, some of the best of all time. Anyway, maybe next time we talk to Andy Baggerly. Lots changing for the San Francisco Giants. It'll be a fun story to monitor, as well as some of the young talent that's coming through the system. Guys like Elliot Ramos, Jacob Gonzalez, uh, Sean Jelly already getting some opportunities early in spring training for San Francisco. So things to monitor as we pour our way through the Major League season. A great conversation with Andy Baggerly. And if you'd like to hear Andy talk more Giants baseball, he's half of the Bags and Brisby podcast, which covers Giants baseball that drops on The Athletic every Monday and Thursday throughout the season. So if you're looking for more baseball talk, you can stop by with them or Ted Ramey and myself. Bring back the Seamheads podcast, which talks A's baseball all season long. We've got you covered for all things Barrier Baseball right here at The Athletic. Special thanks to everyone who checked out the podcast this week. If you're enjoying the work we're doing, we ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and we'll keep bringing you guys great content each week on The Athletic. Special thank you to Brian Smith back at our studios and offices. Tanika doing great work as always. Coming up on Wednesday, NFL season is over. Well, it's never really quite over. We're going to talk to our NFL film analyst, Ted Nguyen, about potential 49er and Raider draft selections. Might even pick his brain on where Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and maybe Tua Tagovailoa, where they could go in this year's NFL draft. That's all coming up on Wednesday. Have a great start to your week. We'll talk to you then.